never wondered what a trailing partner is. Neither did I till I became one. In 2018, my family and I moved to China from the UK and I became a trailing partner. Two years on, I have a better handle on what it means to be one and it's not all daytime drinking, beauty treatments and dinner parties. Join me as I speak to women and some men from all walks of life and all over the world, discussing their journey of becoming trailing partners and what it means for them. In this introductory episode, I would like to unpick the term trailing partner. The first time I heard this term was a few weeks after I moved to China. At a school orientation event, they talked about the things trailing partners could do to fill their time. I can't say I was thrilled with it. Trailing implies being secondary, whereas I felt I was equally involved in my family's decision to move overseas. The term was first used in the Wall Street Journal in 1981, describing a person who follows his or her partner to another city or country on a work assignment. But on further introspection, hadn't I always been a trailing partner? I moved to the UK soon after I married my husband, leaving my, what I considered, promising career in Pakistan's development sector. I was fortunate to receive a scholarship for an MA, which took me to three European universities. Upon graduating, I landed a job and became part of London's vibrant immigrant population. But now I was confronted with this title of trailing partner. Was I trailing because I wouldn't be working and I'd be dependent? Is the term directly related to one's ability to earn or just the degree of control they exercise over their own fate, their lives and their mobility? To delve deeper into this, I'm speaking to a seasoned trailing partner, uh, an intelligent and accomplished woman who has been traveling with her partner for many years. Rebecca, welcome to the episode. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I'm very, very excited. I'm very grateful that you agreed to do this. Um, could you please tell us a little bit about um, yourself and your many experiences of living overseas? Hi, Marvish. Thank you for inviting me on. Um, I moved to China with my family during the summer of 2015 from the UK. Uh, prior to this, we'd also lived in Singapore for a few years. Um, and as a child growing up, although we didn't live abroad, I moved around the UK a lot. Um, and um and so I was used to travel I traveled a lot with my family abroad when we were younger um so sort of settling into this um role of um a foreigner living ab abroad I didn't find too stressful and it wasn't too new to me because I was used to sort of picking up and moving around um but nevertheless obviously with a move comes quite a lot of change um and I'm sure some of the things you're going to touch on in later podcasts, um, particularly, um, change around sort of you as an individual, your identity, um, and this sort of term kept cropping up, trailing spouse, partner. So since, since you've touched upon this, do you identify with it at all? Do you see yourself as a trailing partner at all? Um, when I, funnily enough, when I lived in Singapore, it was a term that actually I hadn't really come across. I think that the idea of it and the concept of it still existed, but the kind of label of trailing spouse or trailing partner was something that sort of came to light more when we moved to China. Um, in terms of how I, if I identify with it, um, I think within the community that you live in, well, it, whilst you're abroad very much it's um it's a term that is passed around a lot and it has I think it has quite a neutral 
kind of connotation, if you like. Um, I think maybe the term, how it's used in the UK particularly, um, is there's a kind of negative sort of connotation attached to it. Yeah, um, yeah so I, I don't know if in your experience either, you'd sort of come across this um, earlier on and you're sort of moving around and things, or whether it is a new kind of um, label that's being used. Um, I, I, yeah I mean I think for me I, I honestly genuinely that was the first time I'd heard it and I was a bit like oh right I didn't realize that that's what uh, sort of like a stay-at-home partner uh, overseas would be called um, it made sense as well uh, in sort of like in that it actually meant what it sort of said but I it it seemed like it was ne- wasn't necessarily the most positive of things it sounded like like you're you're sort of you're the one who's lagging behind in a way and um, I'm sure as you've experienced there's a lot of emotions that you go through when you first move to a new country Um, there's a lot that you've left behind there's a lot that you have to understand and then sort of hearing that term I think uh, I don't think I took it very well I think I was I yeah Um, but um, I think over the last two years I've uh, accepted it in a way that perhaps there is definitely room to have maybe um, a better I guess there's definitely room to come up with a better term however yeah. I think I have in and I think as as, as you sort of um, uh, touched upon the community you're within I think that has a big impact mm. um, I think the community in the city we live in uh, ha- I think takes it in a more sort of positive sense I remember um, somebody saying that uh, had it not been for sort of for us and the decisions that we make, our partners would not be able to pursue the opportunities that they're able to. Yeah. So it, it, I think it has to be seen in a more positive light as well. But it's one thing how we view it, but it's completely other how when you tell someone that you're sort of like a, a stay-at-home partner whilst your family lives abroad, uh, they might view it in a very different way. And I think one of the things that I'm hoping to do through this podcast is to perhaps um, maybe within my sort of social circle and the people I speak to, that we're just able to kind of just bring to light that there's a lot more to what um, women and some men are uh, able to do whilst uh, living abroad. So they might not be in full-time work. They might not uh, be bringing in an income, but they might be productive in so many other ways. Yeah. And I think there isn't, I guess that's not talked about enough. Yeah. Uh, and perhaps that's something that I'd like to highlight. I think there's also a cultural element to it. Um, certainly where I come from in the UK, um, generally both partners will be working even if they have children. And I certainly was before we came out to China, I was working right up until sort of the week before we left. Um, And I don't know, I sort of come back in the holidays and I kind of, I always get the question, oh, what have you been doing with yourself whilst living in China? Almost with a kind of negative edge to it in that maybe there's a kind of image that as a trailing partner or spouse, we sort of go around having coffees and lunches and things like that. And when you actually sit down with people and explain, you know, what day-to-day life is and how completely different it is from, you know, 
the life that you once had living in your home country um I think they start to begin to understand but I definitely agree with you there's sort of a negative kind of um view on the term and that it's maybe sort of ladies who lunch or partners who lunch and um that sort of view and attitude um I remember being told actually on arrival um by someone in my husband's company you know make sure if you have a happy wife you'll have a happy family um and over time I sort of think to some extent maybe that's true because I do feel like in our time in China I've kind of been the glue that's really kept everyone together in our family if you like and I did consider working at various points but then my husband worked very long hours much more sort of stressful job I had the children um to sort of bring up in a new environment help them you know adapt new school everything was very different for them as well and looking back I do think that my role particularly was sort of making sure everybody but everybody was okay um it was much it was a much more intense um kind of involved role than perhaps if I hadn't been working in my home country if that makes sense um I think the role of um a trailing spouse and partner in some ways is a very different role to perhaps what my friends and family thought I would be doing I don't know if that makes sense at all I think I'm muddling my oh entirely that makes perfect um, sense yeah and I kind of cringe sometimes when I hear hear the term trailing spouse or partner sort of thrown at me um, because I feel like I have to justify myself almost. So when people talk about me being the stay-at-home mum or the trailing spouse, um, there's always this kind of edge of negativity towards it sometimes. And I feel like I have to actually justify and explain to them that I'm not sitting around having coffee all the time and lunches and my nails painted and things like that there is much more to that role and I often wonder until you actually live um experience and move abroad you don't fully understand what's involved until you are actually in that situation that makes sense. I, so, I I completely I, I couldn't agree more Um, I actually remember, uh, as, as, as you said, that I actually worked, I think, maybe right up until um, a move to China. And um, in the sort of the days and weeks leading up to sort of our departure, there were a lot of conversations around, oh, what will Mavish be doing when she mm. gets to China? And, uh, and I think he said this with all seriousness, my boss, he said, oh, well, we know what you'll be doing. You'll, ha- you'll be chauffeur driven and uh, you'll probably have people to sort of wait on you. And and I sort of sort of looked at him and said, well, I I I do I don't think that that's going to happen. I'm pretty sure of that because, well, I mean, in this current day and time, I don't think that that is realistic to expect being chauffeur driven and being weighted. Um, but um, but that is sort of the thing that people expect uh, of people. I mean, I think my own family have have often sort of perhaps I think they were just curious. uh more than being uh negative but it 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 that it did sort of come across a little bit like so what 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 do you do most of the day and 
uh, how do you meet people then sort of thing? I think perhaps uh, also in a way that, well, if you're living overseas, you're probably quite isolated because you live in a country where you don't speak the language um, or you, you, yeah, you've come from overseas. So there's, there's, a, there's a lot of it. And I think um, with some people, I've also had to sort of, um, I think, address not just the negativity, but also the element of feeling a little sorry for me because um, I felt that, well, I, I I wasn't really in a situation where I needed to be, where anyone needed to feel sorry for me, but, uh, uh, frankly. But perhaps I think there was, um, I remember somebody asking me, so do you have friends there? <laughs> well, yes, of course I do. Why wouldn't I? Um, I'm not a social pariah, am I? But but I think the impression that, well, you're out of your whatever comfort zone and perhaps you're going to struggle, so maybe you just sit at home then. Uh, but I think that happens to a lot of people. But um, but the reality is quite different, and I think that's what we we are that's what we're hoping to sort of address. So um, tell me then, in terms of your um, your two experiences, uh, you've lived in Singapore and China. Since you've lived in these two countries, has the experience varied? Um, as you, you've mentioned that. Whilst in Singapore, you didn't really come across this term, but here you come across it. But is it more because um, it's, it's, it's a sort of it's a, the country is quite different. It's an English speaking country and therefore um, people sort of have different expectations of you. Yeah, I think um, Singapore particularly, I did actually work um, and I found that a lot more um trailing partners did actually work there or at least maybe not to start with but they did eventually um and that was possibly due to it being an english-speaking country you could easily sort of change the work permit slightly and remain on your um, spouse's kind of visa it, it was just a lot more flexible and a lot easier i think um so possibly and obviously living in China the whole visa situation is completely different um, and very complicated yeah. and um, obviously I have looked into teaching there um, that's sort of my background um, but the whole process and um, for various reasons um, is is just quite hard and it could I think that maybe in China there are less um, dual spouses working it tends to just be one or the other um, not always there are obviously both couples that do work and find a way around it but I think possibly maybe there are more trailing partners and as a result it <coughs> excuse me it um it's it's more common if you like um, so yeah I do think the country that you're living in possibly has um, a role to play in terms of how that's viewed, how that term is viewed um, and how people feel about it. But I did contact a friend recently, actually, I was um, chatting to her about the whole, I, you know, the whole term of trailing spouse. Um, and she left, left Singapore and lived in Singapore after me. And she said, yeah, it, it was around. Definitely there was that um, term. But um, possibly when I was there, I think it 
like I said, it did exist, but maybe in a slightly different way. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, okay. But um, I also think, though, that this whole idea, and we were t- we've been talking about how sometimes this term trailing spouse is viewed quite negatively. But I also wonder if there's a real de- definition in terms of your cultural background and your country and your culture. Does that make sense? So in the UK, you have many more people who will who both work and I am back in the UK now and I will look to work you know in the coming months once we've all sort of settled back in but I remember we were having a conversation with a it was a cultural conversation with a group of women um we used to do this thing called English Corner um and we brought this I we we did have a discussion about this idea anyway of a trailing spouse and I think it became clear as the discussion went on that sort of um, those of us that were perhaps from Europe um, and um, some of the other Western countries, if you use that term, um, it was maybe looked on more negatively than those um, women who had come from um, more of the Asian countries where it was almost a bit like a status symbol to have that freedom to not have to work and be there to sort of be at home and support your family um, and it was just very interesting to see the two different views on that idea and that concept I don't know if you'd agree with that but no I, 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 I completely agree with you and I, and I see where you're coming from as well um, and actually, I remember this conversation quite quite clearly. Uh, mm. And I and I think uh, it was all it was almost seen as an expectation that once I think you reach a certain point in your life, even if you worked previously, that you would mm-hmm. eventually stop working, and then your partner sort of becomes the primary uh, breadwinner, and you take take a more sort of managing the household or ma- raising the children uh, sort of role. Um, perhaps it was maybe it was sort of almost in a like like it was viewed in almost like a in, in I don't know if it's right to say in a class sense that mm. you actually graduate to uh, becoming um, as as you said sort of like a status symbol, um, and and it completely depends on where you're coming from I I suppose which is which is probably I think why we see um, and I don't know if I should be making a generalization like that, but um, uh, a lot a lot of uh, people from East Asian countries perhaps are ha- might have different views about uh, mm-hmm. trailing partners or or what it means to be one and maybe their experiences are entirely different uh, to people from other parts of the world. But it, it it also depends on how sort of your own um, upbringing and what your own expectations of your life um, are. Um, because, I mean, I, I'm sure there are people who might do this, but I imagine nobody sort of like whilst they're at school or university thinks, you know what, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to be a trailing partner. I'm sure there's very few people in the world who plan this as such. Um so yeah, it, it probably it probably comes as a surprise for for many people. I think there's it's circumstantial, isn't it? And like you say, very often it's how I guess your family dynamics, how you've been sort of brought up, and um, the sort of culture that you grew up in as well. Um, yeah. 
But, um, um, sorry. No, no, carry on. So I was just going to ask sort of in your um, overall sort of experience of uh, living overseas as a trailing partner, is it what you had expected when you sort of first moved to Singapore? Um, was it was it better than what you had expected? Um, or was it worse? I'm going to think now. Um, I think it was different. And again, mm -hmm. it was different from anything I'd done before. I mean, Singapore as well was also different because I moved with a baby and a toddler almost. And so the experience was very different to when we moved to China, where the children were a bit older and they were in school full time. You know, and um, so the experiences were very, very different. I think um, also in Singapore, there are a lot more or there are many more foreigners there. So um, you can. And, and choice, if that makes sense, as to what you want yeah. to do and as you want what you want to get out of your time there, if that makes sense. And I think in some ways it was easier because often I hear people talk about the fact that when they move abroad, you know, they've come from these, for some people, not everybody, but they've come from these careers and they've been working for a long time and they're suddenly in this completely different culture, environment, not having to work. Um, and sometimes people might lose a sense of their identity. Um, and as a result of that, you know, there's obviously, I mean, this could be another topic, but um, there, there are other things that come along with that and sort of maintaining your identity. And I did feel that in Singapore, it was definitely easier to kind of maintain your identity as a trailing spouse in that you could, you have many more options open to you. Um, obviously, with the there wasn't the language barrier. Um, mm. There were more opportunities, I think, as well to do things that you wanted to do, or like I said, continue to work or pick up from where you'd left off prior to that. Um, I have many friends who lived in Singapore who worked in the medical field before they came over as a trailing spouse or education, um, um, HR business, and they could literally, after, when they felt they wanted to, pick that up quite easily once they were there. Whereas I think China um, is very different because I know we've talked about this already, but, you know, with the language barrier and the kind of um, procedures and the visa situation and things like that, it's a lot harder to kind of pick up those past careers and things and continue with them in the way that maybe you would have done um, back home or in other countries. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about that. But um, I do wonder, and I mean, I would, um, I can definitely reflect from my experience as well, but I'd like to hear yours first. How does that impact how you engage with this, with this, um, with, the, with the country or in knowing um, that there's all these barriers and obstacles around you um, to pursue a career should you choose to do that because again um, for I guess for many of us or I, I should speak for myself that I don't feel the pressure or the financial pressure at least to have to have a career whereas if uh, we were back in the UK uh, other than the fact that I wanted to there was also the need 
that I work. Uh, but but that need doesn't exist here. So therefore, um, you feel freer to pursue interests or other things um, if you have. But um, so how I, I'm I, and I know that has had that has impacted how I sort of perceive uh, my life in China and how I engage with it. Do you feel that has sort of dampened things for you, or you you think that you've come to a point where you were quite indifferent to it? I think um, in some ways I found it quite liberating because I sort of built up this career of teaching um, and it was quite stressful at times and actually it was quite nice and it gave me the opportunity to do things, at least to start with, that I had never really considered um, or been able to, sorry, before, such as you know, I have a real interest in sort of the Asian culture, religion and things like that. So I, it enabled me to really explore that in more depth. Um, it gave me the opportunity to study as well, um, because like you said, financially, um, we were better off and I wasn't working. So in, and it gave me the opportunity to sort of um, really be there for my children in terms of supporting them with their homework whereas perhaps when I was back in the UK I was still there for them but I just felt like um, being in China I had more time to kind of devote and I wasn't juggling too many things all in one go if that makes sense yeah Um, no no, absolutely yeah and um, so in some ways to start with I definitely felt like it was almost um, I wouldn't say a privilege but I was lucky that I would have that I was being given that opportunity to pursue those real interests and things that I had. Um, I think, however, though, as time went on, gradually maybe became a little frustrated and being aware that I had been out of my or away from my career path for quite a while, um, and starting to get to the point where I was thinking, actually, you know work is important and it is important for me personally to be in work just to give me that sense of identity to do something that I'm really passionate about um so I think yeah it was it was a it was an interesting kind of it's hard to explain it was an interesting few years um that we were there that enabled me to you know, really do things that I wanted to. I know there are some people that um, choose to, you know, take a break and really explore and enjoy the very different lifestyle that they have. And I think as an individual, it depends on how you maybe look at it and view view it. I saw it as a challenge. You know, I knew that we wouldn't be there forever. So to make the most of every opportunity, um, to try and embrace as much as I could in terms of the culture and whatever it kind of threw my way. Um, I knew that, you know, just the little things that would never happen or the little things that our lifestyle that is so different from what we perhaps have back in the UK. There are all these yeah. things sort of coming at you. And I think you can choose to kind of, really embrace it um and try and make it a really positive experience um and kind of 
ticking it or I can't think of the word either building it up as past experience that maybe would be quite useful for you in the future in some way or another um or yeah. I guess yeah no I see I guess, what you mean or I guess you can choose to kind of hide away from it all and possibly let it get on top of you a little bit I think mm. I think everybody's different and I think everybody approaches it very differently and I think it affects everybody in different ways as well um but for me personally I really embraced the obstacles and tried to make the most of it obviously it wasn't all plain sailing there were things that kind of you have your ups and your down days but um yeah and I do wonder if having previously lived sorry in Singapore had helped kind of establish a bit of a foundation in terms of expectations um and what was coming my way in terms of making another move abroad um and I think that really kind of helped um establish help me and my mindset if you like know what yeah. I was setting out to do what I wanted to achieve and how I was going to make the most of it Yeah no I think I I remember and probably from my um um the first few weeks uh, in China and I'm sure perhaps it was you or somebody saying that be prepared there will be real real peaks mm-hmm. and troughs uh, there will be times when you'll be absolutely elated at how great your life is here <laughs> and there'll be times when you will feel absolutely mm-hmm. um wretched about why you and your family decided to move here and it's 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 been true absolutely um because there's 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 things about living here which are brilliant uh you experience a completely different quality of life but then there are the challenges which when you experience them you really sort of question um why you've decided to do what you're what you're doing um but it's i i think i completely agree with what you said about sort of it just depends on your own mindset and how you um approach it uh i'm sure some people do take the approach of being super cautious and just playing it safe and perhaps others um take more risks and do more things that uh they feel they should do um i it was really interesting you mentioned that it was quite that you felt liberated um almost in a way um that's interesting because i sometimes feel like has a real opportunity that i have i could do like anything well within sort of reason uh that i want wanted to in terms of things that i want to pursue interests um and i feel this real pressure because as as you said i know that our time here is finite and that i must make the most of it and sometimes um perhaps i find i fill in too much in order to sort of make sure and then find myself a little bit exhausted thinking well i'm not even working full time <laughs> yet at the end of the day i'm a little bit knackered So I guess it's a balancing act. Yeah. No, I I'd agree. But I also think it's helped me grow as a person being given that kind of freedom to um kind of choose to either study or find out more about the you know the culture or the environment I've lived in. It's also helped me discover more about myself um and sort of helped me grow as a person. and i think if i look back as you know if i look back to before china or before singapore 
I'd probably be a completely different person. Um, and I think in some ways I try and look at, look at it um, in a way that it's um, helped improve, I don't know, maybe not improve, but it's helped grow my identity and the person I am and my outlook on things. Um, so see, I see it in a, you know, really, really positive way in that sense. That's know. such a lovely thing to say. I, um, I think I, had, I hadn't quite sort of um, thought about it that way because, um, and I think that's something we've talked about in the past, is that I've always associated a lot of my identity with the work I used to do. And mm. in the absence of that, I felt a little bit sort of bereft thinking that uh, I'm, I'm not really sure of who I am anymore. But um, from, from the way you've described it, actually, it sort of gives so many other facets to your personality that you perhaps had not discovered before, or you just completely chose to ignore because you were so focused on work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, and, it's, it's, uh, and, and, and I wish that there was a term uh, that could um, um, encapsulate all of, these, all of these really great things that one can experience as a trailing partner. Um, I think uh, listening to something else the other day, I heard something about some, uh, a term. I think the term they used was trailblazing partner, which I thought that it didn't necessarily reflect um, what the partner does. Um, but I mean, I guess whatever works, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think for me, I just, I don't know, I sort of kind of, I just kind of cringe sometimes at that term trailing spouse because yeah. um, not so much having lived in China if it's used. I think we use it in quite a neutral way, actually, to some extent. Yeah, I guess and probably. That, I think within the community, within the sort of foreign community, it's not a yeah. taboo. It's not looked upon negatively because a lot of us are in a very similar situation. We understand each other. We understand what, you know, the day to day life is. But when I come back to the UK, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I sort of, I think that it's more so in my home country that there is that kind of stereotype or that negative kind of um, view put upon that term trailing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel there hasn't necessarily life. been an update on on what um, trailing partners or stay-at-home parents um, who are living overseas do. I think that because what you normally hear or what people's perception is, I think it reminds me of sort of like the 1980s and 1970s mm-hmm. where there's um, a nicely done up woman with nice hair and a nice dress and sort of waiting for her partner to come home in the evening so she can lay out dinner. Because yes. um, that's what perhaps she's done. And obviously this is not sort of a reflection on women in the 70s or 80s. I'm sure they did loads of amazing things, but I think that's just the perception and perhaps there isn't enough i i don't know i feel that there but can be because there's yeah there's 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 a there's a there's so many of us uh that there can uh there can be sort of a conversation about what uh what trailing spouses do or what trailing partners um are contributing almost uh in a way and i think like most stereotypes you know and and labels who that are sort of viewed negatively it's it's really down to lack of understanding and um yeah no, kind of understanding what's involved and I remember 
you know, one summer I was back chatting with a friend and she sort of said, oh, what have you been doing, um, you know, this year and things like that. And I kind of took a deep breath in and I just thought what I would say to her makes me sound like I am just sort of sat around and doing things. But what she doesn't understand is it takes me a whole day to go to the supermarket, you know, to sort out all the food. Um it takes time to sort of do all these other bits and pieces that you have to do, you know, just to kind of live your life and function, you know, things that maybe we take for granted in our home country or in some home countries because they're really simple to do at a click of a button. You know, you don't have to spend an hour in a bank to transfer some money, you know, and things like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, there is that, that maybe lack of understanding and I remember my mother coming to stay with us just after we'd moved to China and she did turn around to me at one point and just said wow I can really see why you're busy and you know how much time all these other things kind of take up it's not as simple as just popping in a car and driving down to the supermarket to do your grocery shopping you know it involves oh, yeah. a few hoops and things to sort of jump through and the other thing is you have to keep in mind if you're moving with your partner's job in whatever area or capacity that is they are almost it's maybe a little bit easier for them I'm going to put myself on the line here and say that because you know as soon as you arrive they're in a, an environment with colleagues you know um and other people that they can relate to it's almost like this instant community for them that they can sort of throw themselves into and very often you move and they start straight away and you're kind of having to deal with everything else setting everything out up finding a home sorting the kids out at school and doing all the paperwork things as well as sort of doing everything else so it is there's a lot more to it I think than just sitting around at home twiddling your thumbs um. absolutely <laughs> absolutely I think I think I have repeatedly um sort of reminded uh, my husband when he said that uh well life in China is really easy and I tell him well yes it is for you because you're in an English-speaking environment um if there's I don't know a leaky tap in the school toilets somebody comes and fixes it Whereas if we have a leaky tap at home, I have to sort of speak to five different people in a language that I don't speak and they don't speak my language and somehow get to communicate what we need and they communicate what they can do. And it's it's a nightmare. And, yes. and, and sometimes something as minor as a leaky tap can take all day or maybe even a week to sort of sort out mm -hmm. with sort of like all sorts of people coming into your home and you, you don't know what they want and they don't know what you want. It's, it's quite, I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of miming. Yeah. So I guess it, 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 you're absolutely right. There's, there's just, you would think that in the day-to-day -day mundane, which is so easy and things that we had taken for granted are actually not as simple as we had uh, yeah. expected. And I would say, but, but, I, but Rebecca, sorry. Go on. No, well, I was just going to say, I also sort of, um, find it funny if my husband's off work or if we've gone back to the UK in the summer to see family or what have you 
and he's always calling me up going oh I need this fixing what do I do or where can I go for this and and you suddenly realize how I mean obviously they do after a while but to start with how little they know in terms of how everything works and you know where to go and get things where to go and get the e-bike fixed and things like that Um, because you're the one who has all that knowledge and you're the one who has to sort all that out and you know do it and it's not straightforward I mean it's it's not as straightforward as perhaps what we would have had here because of the language barriers and just how things work differently culturally as well yeah what I was going to ask was that um, obviously in addition to sort of managing your household and your children and and all of that um, what other things have sort of uh, kept you going here I mean you talked about sort of um, uh, understanding the culture a bit more and perhaps pursuing further education um, what other things sort of kept you going? Because you were in China for nearly um, five years. Five years, yes. Five years is a very long time, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think I made the most of opportunities. I did various um, courses online through different universities, even back in my home country, because the way that online learning now works, it's brilliant. You can do that. Um I must say the stuff that I actually did in China tended to be more on a voluntary basis. Um, So I used to go into the children's school and volunteer to do, you know, support and help. Um, I also volunteered in an orphanage. I know that there's animal rescue volunteering people can do as well. Um, Also sort of there was some community work I did as well with a um, local social worker sort of setting up links between the um, expat community and the local community there Um, so yeah it was just kind of making the most of that time doing courses I learned an awful lot about Chinese history you know and things and to be actually it it makes you realize as well um, obviously coming from a teaching background you're teaching things a lot of this a lot of the time but to actually be there to experience it in your backyard is you know incredible and an amazing opportunity to be able to do that rather than just looking at it from a book um there's also I know you've done this as well learnt Chinese um I think to some extent I remember when we first arrived we didn't have DD we didn't have the translators and apps and things on the phones that are established now it was quite different actually you had to just walk out onto the street and wave a taxi down you know that you can you had to sort of work out the bus routes and they were all in Chinese and they weren't on your iPhone that you could just sort of look up it was very very yeah. different back then um and I remember the first six months, it, that was really hard, just getting around. And, you know, you have a doctor's appointment, but you're thinking, am I actually going to be able to make it? Because I'm not even sure if I'm going to be able to get a taxi or wave one down yeah. to take me there. Um, and so I learned, started to learn Chinese, um, really basic Chinese, I might add, just survival Chinese and that made a huge difference I think towards the end I didn't need to use it as much because obviously DD was then in English and a lot more things arrived that made yeah. it easier but I think there's lots of opportunities um and 
making the most of the opportunities, discovering more about what interests you and um, trying to sort of turn it into a positive as well. Oh, absolutely. I think I think you should you should come with an open mind uh, anyway. I mean, not just China, perhaps. I think if you're going mm. into any new oh, country, yeah, I guess keeping keeping an open mind would probably be, you know, just just something that popped into my head. Um, and I'd really like to ask, how do you think the local people, um, local Chinese um, sort of perhaps, I don't know, your neighbors or people you engage with in the school view trailing partners? Do, do, do they also, maybe, do you think, see them in sort of as a, um, I don't know, lazy people <laughs> not really doing anything? No, no, I really, I don't know, actually. I'm not sure how I'd answer that. I think, I think they're quite neutral. I don't know. I think yeah. a lot of, um, I think maybe China's slightly different because I know, well, just from the people that I've met, a lot of the um, Chinese, like our neighbours, they work, both partners both do partners, work. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to be honest, in terms of our neighbours, I've only experienced really lovely, lovely neighbours that have yeah. bent over backwards to help us. And, you know, oh, even nice. if they struggle to speak much English or us Chinese, you know, they, they've been absolutely fantastic. Um, I don't know. I think I'd need to speak quite a bit more Chinese to kind of really get to the roots of yeah. the sort yeah. of views. No, it just sort of no, popped into my head and I thought I'd... Point. And it it would be very interesting, I think, to find out. I mean, I've always thought I'd love to be able to have some really good discussions with my um, IE. Oh, yeah. Um, about you know, her sort of view and things like that. I know that often we're called Tai Tai and I hear sort yeah. of mixed. I've, I've, um, you won't believe it, but I've very recently actually come across this term. And when the person who mentioned it, when I told her that I'd been in China for two years, she was quite surprised yeah. that I'd never heard this before. And I said, well, it just didn't come up. No one's ever said it before. I've never quite got to the root of... Um, what it means I've heard people just say it means Mrs Mrs like Tai Tai that's your title like Miss or Madam or, yeah you know. but then I've also heard other people say that maybe there is a kind of foreigner's wife type label I, that I that's um, that's that's I think that's uh, it was mentioned to me in that sort of light as well sort okay. of almost as a as a yeah. as a lady of leisure yeah sort of that's yeah <laughs> um I'm... yeah I mean I'm not denying there are times where I do have a lunch for somebody or you um, you have to eat right yeah you do and but then also <laughs> I think that's culturally it would it's a lot cheaper to eat out or grab a coffee in in some ways yeah in yeah. China than it, it would be back here does that make sense and completely yeah you're living in a big city so um there are more options and more opportunities too um but then I know that my husband would do the same thing and I probably would whether I was working or not you know I don't think that makes any sort of difference but um yeah, yeah. But, but I think but I think also to recognize that in the absence of say work colleagues or your your immediate friends or family you have a social sort of um 
like a, like a social circle here and that's how you engage with them over food and i think sort of engaging over food yes. and um that's quite universal uh yeah. so while 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 i while i take the point that um it's it's not all ladies ladies who lunch but it is i think i think food does form a big part of um how you interact with people and uh um, but then, yeah but also food culturally in china and how you interact is a huge part of their identity and who they are as well and as yeah. a yeah as a foreigner living in a country you do adopt some of the kind of traditional that's true that's true so yeah yeah i think i think yeah that's the case so any thoughts that you would like to sort of share anything that you think that you would like to to mention that perhaps we yeah. didn't necessarily touch upon um but you've always yeah. thought maybe talking about or thinking about when you come back in some ways i think that's harder um picking up where you kind of left off if you like um because when you move to a foreign country you navigate towards people in a similar situation to you i guess like foreign community that lives there and you because the people there have experienced very much the same thing as you are experiencing it kind of binds yeah. you together and it's very easy to meet people make friends um and kind of form those links and have a good mutual understanding with each other and everyone but i think coming back um in some ways it is quite hard because you're particularly where i live it's not a very um uh mobile town if that makes sense people tend mm-hmm. to sort of stay there the children will go straight through school and things like that and you're having to slot back into that community again um and i think in some ways that can be um quite tricky um trying to sort of establish yourself back again having this huge kind of cultural change that you've experienced and this change of identity and you know who you perhaps thought you were when you left but now you're maybe somebody a little bit different um and everybody else kind of expects you to be the same i think i experienced this when i came back from yeah. singapore and i actually think it's very the kind of reverse culture shock or the kind of sense of identity is sort of challenged again whilst you're trying to do that because you're trying to fit back in maybe as a very different person and i think eventually it takes time but you do get there but it does take time and it can be quite tricky um and certainly thinking about what are you going to do now um because you want to get back to work and you know most people like most of my friends both of them work so there's not really anybody around you in the day to connect with um oh yeah yeah and the support it, it it's a lot harder so i think coming back presents its sort of own challenges challenge challenges um as an ex trailing kind of spouse if you like if you want to call it that um and i think people see you as this i don't know, i i sort of experienced it a little bit possibly coming back from singapore um not necessarily in my community but as a whole 
people sort yeah. of seeing you as having been this so-called lady of leisure now having yeah. to think about getting back to work um and you know getting everybody back in not really understanding what you've just been through for the last so many years or how things have changed and I do think when it's when you do come back it's so important to keep connected with those close friends that you made who have also maybe come back or who are experiencing the same thing and um, certainly I have some extremely close friends here you know that I always keep in touch with but they won't understand necessarily what I've been through in the last five years they just get little snippets and don't tend to sort of understand the emotional side of it but having yeah. those other close friends even if they're not living down the road from me but spread out it's really important to stay connected with them because when you are having a bit of a down day or finding things a little bit tricky you've kind of got them to connect with um yeah on the other side and to share those kind of experiences um that you had and I think that's really important um in that sense yeah. so yeah I think I think I would just sort of say I still think there is a bit of a negativity towards the term trailing spouse particularly from the west however sort of living within your community it's very much a neutral term with a lot of other people in a similar situation um but maybe we need to find a new term for it yeah quite like the one you used earlier I can't remember what that was was trailblazing partner yeah I don't, well, I don't know. It's the trailing. I think it's the trailing issue for the, me. The, yeah. It is the the kind of bit that doesn't sit very comfortably. Yeah. Traveling partner is one. Yeah. Trailing but, kind of feels like you're dragging your heels and you're having to kind of. It does, doesn't it? Do yeah. what you're, what's expected of you, or I don't know. Like you said before, it's that kind of nineteen, that traditional old kind of submissive. Yeah housewifey type absolutely term that absolutely just isn't really what it's what it's quite outdated it. now but yeah. yeah I guess I guess as long as um as long as people are not necessarily viewing the term as negatively anymore mm-hmm. um uh it might it might it might not be seen negatively um but yeah, I, th- I think some work can definitely be done around it. I don't think it's a favorite of anyone uh, to sort of be happily called a, a trailing partner. But I kind of think but it, well, fits, it, it fits in a little bit with the whole, you've got the other debate of housewife, if you like, or if a mother chooses oh, to stay yeah. home in her native country and look after the children. And I know in the UK at the moment there's been a few articles popping up you know around that sort of topic and how maybe that's sort of viewed slightly negatively um by some people like being a stay-at-home mom mm. or a stay-at-home parent stay-at-home parent yeah. yeah I guess it's a cultural thing at the end of the day and again yeah. your experiences and what you think so 
Yeah, no, I, um, I agree. I agree. Rebecca, thank you so much for this uh, lovely conversation. It was really, really interesting to hear about sort of your um, experiences, your reflections about how you've engaged with the two countries that you've lived in um, and how you're feeling now about uh, sort of your move back to the UK. I mean, you're already back in the UK, but sort of in the process of um, wrapping up uh, things from China. Um, I think we both agree that we that the term trailing partners is not necessarily very, very positive. Um, however, in the absence of a better term, perhaps uh, we can start having more conversations around what trailing partners do so that the perception of uh, uh, ladies of leisure uh, changes. I know there's some men out there, but not as many as women, of course. Um, so thank you. I hope to keep the conversation going. Um, and I hope we'll have you back uh, on the podcast talking about lots of different interesting things. And, uh, and I, of course, wish you all the very best with settling back in your new home. Thank you, Marvish. Thank you for asking me on. It's been a pleasure.